from the Pro Cannabis Media Studios. I'm Jimmy Young, and I'm so excited that we have a very special guest in studio. No, she's not in studio. She's in our Zoom room. I guess that's the way we'll describe it. She's in our Zoom room. Her name is Dr. Mary Clifton. And of course, Alyssa Merrill from flowerandtonic.com is with us as well. Dr. Mary, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be invited. Thank you for having me on your show. Very challenging time for humans over the last week or so. One of the longest weeks in my lifetime, uh, just waiting for the results, waiting for history to be written, if you will. Um, that has to affect everybody's psyche in everywhere. And I think we saw an outpouring of joy uh, by the public that I really didn't expect over the weekend. What were your impressions of this past week? Oh, well, you know, I was in New York City, actually walking uh, down the Union Street market is is just, I think, the best farmer's market in the world, at least the ones that I've seen so far, although I still want to get to Bangkok and see those floating markets. I bet you they'll top Union Square. But I was on my way down there, and then all of a sudden, all of this honking, and uh, so I opened up my phone, and there it was. And then the whole city was just like walking in on one party after another. We kept going to the next park, and down at Union Square, there was a bunch of people uh, all, all getting together and dancing, and it was, it was uh, the best day to be in New York. It was probably one of my favorite days to be in New York of the whole time I lived there. So it's, uh, it's, I mean, there are half of the people who are also very, very sad too. So we have to make sure as we move forward that we work on inclusion and make sure that everybody has opportunities to, you know, live better and for their children to succeed and for to be warm in the winter and, you know, a little bit of cooled off in the summer, if you like, and some decent food. We all have to focus on everybody's needs and make sure everybody gets taken care of. And and that's a great opening statement, as it were. But isn't it amazing that even though there was this natural outpouring of emotion and celebration, you know, I hear you using the words, everybody got together and we're right in the, still in the middle of this pandemic. And it's so counter to the human element where we, we, we seem to need that togetherness and that connectivity. But we're also scared that we're going to get this horrible virus that's out there. And you know, I'm guessing that plays a lot on everybody's emotions. Oh, yeah. I feel like when I'm looking at a crowd of 150 people all, you know, dancing in Union Square, I feel like the virus is there. It's like this, you know, uninvited but ever-present guest to all of these experiences. And it does add this other level of anxiety and stress. But then, you know, in places like New York and cities where people are really masking up and doing a good job with uh, with sanitation, uh, you know, I think that you can probably uh, feel pretty safe in some of those circumstances. Because when I look at other places where they've done very good with virus control, people are standing shoulder to shoulder waiting for the light to change at a street corner, for example, but they're all wearing a mask, you know, and uh, it, it's just the next level of sanitation where design to move around in little nomadic packs of 100 people or so and then get in touch with other tribes on, on rare occasions. So we're not really designed to be 6 million people in one city. <laughs> so, you know, we, we used to urinate in the streets. We used to expectorate in the streets. We don't do that anymore either. So it's probably a good idea to just put on a mask. That's right. And that's a good balance. I like that. Alyssa, as the mother of three, do you still have to worry about expectorating? and uh, 
God, no, just the new COVID puppy is causing a problem. That's a horrible idea. Don't ever, I mean, I rushed out week one and got it and that was a bad idea. But I do have a question for you. I'm struggling, um, you, you know, I like to believe in karma, but I've got three girls and I have huggers. Like they like to hug and they also hold doors for people. And I, the anxiety that I can sense in them when they're like, oh, you know, they go to hug someone and they stop themselves or they go to hold the door and they realize they're too close. So I guess um, I'm trying to, and, and questions come to me a lot just because again, I have three girls, people know I work in this industry. How do you differentiate anxiety versus depression? Cause like, yeah, it's sad when you can't hug people yeah. and it's, you know, it's, it's sad, but it then it's, it, yeah. it's all on the same trajectory. You know, I mean, I think some people when they have problems where their serotonin or dopamine dips, probably because of a combination of, you know, experiences coupled with you not having enough time to take care of yourself and meet your own self-care needs or more financial stress than people may be dealing with. The stress and anxiety can get really overwhelming right now. And, uh, and, and on top of that, all of the work and family, you know, things that we always have to do with our kids and our partners isn't going away. So the stress becomes pretty monumental right now. So I, I think uh, looking for an opportunity, I mean, I think you can handle your stress and anxiety in more of an adaptogenic way or in more of like a fundamental treatment way in both cases with CBD or cannabis. You know, if you just need to try to smooth everything out and try to prevent yourself from um, from inputting a bunch of memories in a really traumatic way, then using CBD or cannabis in small amounts just as an adaptogen, you know, to help you to frame your memories properly and move through the experience properly. But if you're having problems with not being able to stop crying or not being able to get out of bed or not being able to interact properly with the people that you you want to work with, then a lot of my patients are settling out, you know, it's somewhere between 60 to 100 milligrams of, uh, of CBD products, uh, given in divided administrations, like twice a day. So you can manage the daytime anxiety, but also help with the anxiety so that you can fall asleep. But it's not unusual for some people to go as high as 200 milligrams a day, just uh, trying to get it under control. And the great thing about CBD or uh, or cannabis is you can get these great um, uh, single source uh, pre-rolls now for CBD or cannabis. So you can choose something like Harlequin or cherry pie, which is just great for depression, great for anxiety. As far as the cannabis community, all the CBDs are extraordinarily good for this work. And then, uh, you know, just see what works best for you and get it on board. Sure. Now, this is the first time I've actually, I've heard of you many times meeting you face to face. Can you just share a little bit more about your background for people who might not be familiar? Oh, um, sure. Yeah, I'm the founder of cbdandcannabisinfo.com and uh, and the Cannabinoid Protocol, a uh, coaching program, an educational program. Uh, we have cannabis coaches for businesses, but we also just provide education at whatever level it's needed. But I, I've been an internal medicine doc for 25 years and uh, ran a small private practice, raised my kids in northern Michigan. And um, my brother died 
uh, unexpectedly at 54 years old of uh, colon cancer uh, five years ago and had a really uncontrolled, very difficult to manage death. And I was at the bedside trying to do everything right and I couldn't get anything under control, his anxiety or his pain or anything. And uh, it, my mom and I both agreed it was probably one of the worst deaths you'd ever have to witness. But um, after he died, I read a little bit about CBD I had and cannabis. I had a few other experiences with patients who had great results. So I thought, I think I'll look into this and just prove to myself that there's no good research and can't really use this stuff. And so I, so I, so I started reading and then, uh, you know, now here I am with 200 videos and a teaching program. <laughs> so. oh, I knew, I, knew, I kind of knew that was going to be your answer because you can tell people who come, I think from this uh, at an angle where they didn't believe, like I personally also was from the pharmaceutical industry and I didn't, I was looking for the, you know, what's the catch, you know? Um, and sounds like we're the same, but once you see it, it's like, a, you know, well, yeah, I, you know, I think I've smoked my body weight back in high school. I smoked like crazy and uh, I just used, I used to smoke almost every day. And in retrospect, I was using it to manage anxiety. And that was way back in the eighties in a little town in Northern Michigan. We didn't really have a lot of room or understand how to do anything with uh, anxiety or depression back then. And so I was just, I think doing what I could, you yeah. know, and still getting by getting great grades and hanging out with my friends and pursuing sports, but, you know, definitely needed that, that assistance. So, and then of course you get into medical school and residency and all that gets pushed to the side. But when I started to look back into it again, I was like, well, of course that's, uh, that, that was what was happening way back then. Right. Do you have um, a lot of people like ADD? I know a lot of people have been coming to me with uh, problems with ADHD, especially when working from home and there's all these distractions. <laughs> the ADD is such a is such a great place to uh, prescribe cannabis because it seems to on on functional MRIs on the PET scans that light up, mm -hmm. it seems to light up your brain in the same way that Adderall does. It impacts the movement centers because part of what we have to do with ADHD people is help them to just sit still and and getting rid of that hyperactivity allows them to focus enough so that they can do something instead of just constantly being physically uh, mobile. And, uh, and we don't have great studies looking at ADHD, but a Duke uh, researcher looked at over 200 chat rooms for various ADHD uh, people and looked at all of the comments about cannabis and found like an 87% favorability for ADHD. People love to use it for that condition. Yeah. And, and I, I sold Adderall and it's, uh, and I knew <laughs> that this was safer, a safer alternative. So, um, Oh yeah. I sold, uh, with Eli Lilly and Amgen and Medtronic and, uh, Forest. I sold for osteoporosis for eight years. I was on speaker bureaus and traveled all over the country. I had a blast. Yep. Well, but Dr. Mary, I can admit this. I've met it. I've admitted it many times. I love how you, you, think back to when you were growing up in the 80s, okay? Because I grew up in the 60s and 70s, and we didn't even know what ADHD was back then. I didn't get diagnosed with it until I was an adult. And of course, I said, come on, right? God, I can multitask. I can watch four games and take notes and, and still write at the same time. It goes, exactly. So it did, it was an enlightening experience when I realized why at age 14, 15, 16, 17 in school, I would use this 
back then it was not as potent as it is now, um, mm -hmm. but it would help me hyper focus on the task, whether it was taking notes or I don't know how many tests I took under the influence, let's just say, but certainly I was able to focus on the task at hand much better. And to be honest, it also helped me behind the wheel of a car. And I know that's kind of weird to say that, but I took my driver's test high and passed. Yeah. And yeah, passed. But that's so, I think when we're talking about, this is where I get nervous, legitimately nervous, because Go I ahead. think we're talking about 80, like there are certain products that will, like the terpenes and, you know, it's not just cannabis. So there's mm -hmm. some cannabis that can make you a complete idiot and you will have no focus and you will oh. not know the next word you're going to say. Right. So it's like, that's where I get nervous that this industry, because I, I agree, Jimmy, I know what you're saying, but like people who are coming here um, need your education is basically what I'm trying yeah. to say. Well, you no, know, it's a, it's, there's a lot of things <clears throat> that impact driving like uh, sedating antihistamines or sedating antidepressants, pain medications, right. and, and, and cannabis impacts your driving too. But after two weeks of regular use of really any of those things, your driving should return back to normal. And at that point, it's difficult for you to know if somebody is using cannabis regularly unless they mix it with alcohol, because it does seem to be very difficult to become habituated to alcohol with driving as far as lane weave and response time. No but question it, about yeah, it. We the, understand uh, that, um, I mean, we've interviewed other doctors eight times the effect. And again, there's a big difference between what is being sold in dispensaries now and tested now than what, you know, we got back in the day in the 70s and uh, early 80s, let's just say. So I, I understand that. But I will tell you this, you mentioned Adderall, and I know, Alyssa, you actually sold this stuff. You can imagine when a doctor diagnosed me on, as ADHD and he gave me a prescription for Adderall, I took it and it was one of the worst experiences of my life. Oh. I was bouncing off the walls. It was speed and I don't need speed. I need focus, but I don't need speed, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes it does help paradoxically, but it, it doesn't work for everybody. It definitely right. doesn't work for right. everybody. Three days. Three days. I was done with it. I don't have anything to do with it again. Thank you very much. Goodbye. And uh, just so wait. many prescription therapies. And, you know, thank goodness you didn't have a good reaction to it because you would have been back in that doctor's office once a month, sitting there for three or four hours, waiting for your appointment, getting your script, taking it to the pharmacy, waiting for it at the pharmacy. You know, you'd be totally out of control of your medicine. You have to take it every single day or you'll get withdrawal. Or you can use some cannabis, you know. And if you have a really difficult day concentrating, you haven't been eating properly, you're not sleeping, your relationships are in the can and you can't get yourself organized, you can take more. Or if you have a day where you're really moving well and you've been meditating, then you can, you only need like a little bit or none, then you take a lot less, you know, and study after study shows that when you're in charge, then the amount of medication you take is less compared to if you just hand over that responsibility to your doctor. So it's super good to, for you to manage it with cannabis or CBD. You're going to, you're going to use less over time. I never knew that. That's really good facts for people. You know, the patient controlled anesthesia that you get after they take your appendix out or, you know, they give you that little thing and they say, just press this button if you need it. Because we found that if you press that button, you're going to press it a ton less than if you have to get the nurse and the nurse has to get you the shot, then people are like, 
I have a little pain. I don't want to get into too much pain. I'm going to call the nurse now. So they take a lot more medicine over time than if they just handle it on their own. When uh, I had my back surgery and was on the morphine drip with the little <laughs> button, they limit it. You can only push it once every 10 minutes. I think that's what they do. They put some kind of a damper in there because... A lockout, yeah. Which, is, <laughs> yep. which was fine. But the, amazingly enough, ruptured disc, went in as Groucho Marx, 12 hours later, walking the halls, uh, fine. I mean, it was... Modern you know, medicine still medicine is great for that. We have yeah. so many wonderful tools to help people. If you break your leg or if you get in a car accident or if you need surgery, but boy, for ADHD, for anxiety, for, um, you know, end of life stuff, we've got, uh, we've got us, we've got cannabis and that's where all of that should be tracking to. Do, do you see an increase, uh, in research, uh, more research now, perhaps, especially if, if the, uh, those who are in charge uh, deschedule, take it off that Controlled Substances Act and, and open up. To me, that's uh, one of the biggest growths of this industry is the future of research because you still, aren't you still scratching the surface on what we know about anxiety and depression and the role it has with the endocannabinoid system? Oh, absolutely. And just scratching the surface on the relationships between the endo-endocrine system, the systems in the gut and how the gut microbiome responds to the endocannabinoid system, and then how that also affects thyroid and cortisol levels. All of those systems are in interplay all the time. But we also just need better and, and stronger data in, in anxiety and depression and all kinds of chronic diseases. And the research is very powerful. It can drive a lot of, uh, a lot of financial decisions and, and support pharmaceuticals, which I don't want this whole thing to go 100% pharmaceutical, but a little pharmaceutical cannabis would be really good for us because it, it'll move the needle for the entire industry. Agreed. Agreed. Well, I look at, I think so exciting, um, some the products for autism. I mean, look at some of these conditions where, you know, having children, you know, it's like there are just no alternatives. And it's, um, it's oh. nice. Just, yeah, it's an amazing opportunity, I think. And the, re the research in autism in Israel is so powerful and so exciting that they took 187 kids, I think, and gave them a, a, a high CBD, low THC cannabis, and it decreased their self-injurious behavior. They were able to dress themselves better. It's really remarkable improvements. So a lot of times we're using just a, a, a little bit of cannabis here and there when there's uh, acting out behaviors and you need to get things under control it's got such a great rapid onset with inhalation so you can you can it, it works i think better than any other choice we have for helping somebody who's really feeling terrible and i think the same is true for you could fill in the blank the blank there for any like acutely out of control problem for stress or anxiety or nausea when you're in end of life or you know i, I when your pain gets really jacked up there's uh there's these methods of getting cannabinoids in the system very quickly through inhalation usually and you get a great result immediately or it's in 90 seconds which is pretty doggone immediately great now how do you feel about um you mentioned nausea like it wasn't last week that the, there was a lot of the news about you know taking cannabis when you're pregnant and i have very strong opinions on on like I've seen women who have used CBD and conceived. I think it relaxes your body in a way. And 
but I also, you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm in the middle. I'd love your opinion on. There's Jamaican uh, research that would suggest that everything is fine with CBD or cannabis, but the overall, uh, you know, the research, and I would really love to poke a hole in this research and find it not true, but it, it the research over overwhelmingly says we really shouldn't use uh, cannabis or other cannabinoid products when you're uh, pregnant or breastfeeding. We just, you're uh, going to end up potentially with some intrauterine growth reduction and, you you know, babies need to be every ounce matters when you're a little peanut. So you just, we really don't want to, if you've got a woman who's already got a little baby, then, you know, and, and you, and you impact it with cannabis, that's going to just be tough. I wish that we could move on that. I would love to say something different, but we well, can't. I guess the only, I totally agree. Like I'd like to, I prefer to be more, I guess, conservative in how I, I look at it, but what about Zofran compared, you know, sometimes if you look at Right. I, I yeah. still feel better having someone. I still feel like it might be a better option than Zofran. That scares me. So I feel like that's at the end of the day where we're stuck at. So I agree that it's not, I want to say it's not safe. It's not good. It's not, but is it better than Zofran? Maybe. Well, like with autism or with seizure or with, you know, other disorders that seem that impact children and we're giving them cannabis and, oh my gosh, how can you give cannabis to a child? But then, you know, all these other medications that you're giving the children are certainly impacting their neurologic development, you know, how, or, but I mean, I've, I've had patients in their early twenties that have been on these medicines since they were eight or 10 years old and they, they would love to get off them, but they're like, I have never had a brain that isn't on these medications and I'm terrified of getting off of them. So it become they become a lifelong uh, consumer or customer if you want to look at it in a really negative way. But it does it, it's uh, it, these it, but you can't have a youngster going through misery without trying to help either. you know I mean if you have a way to help them, then why would you not? But, uh, but, it, but, it, you know, the best thing to do, I don't know if we'll ever have the answer to that question, because we're never going to take 10,000 kids and put half of them on cannabis and the other half not on cannabis and then see how they do. You always have a factor that leads them to trying it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. One, one of the things you just mentioned, um, we talk about a lot on this program, especially with Alyssa and some of the RNs that we have on. And it's all about the doctors that are your typical MDs that you know don't know enough about this product to recommend it, are afraid of recommending it. It's still seen as a last resort for many people who are dealing with the anxiety and the depression or the, the chronic pain or any of the um, other diseases out there that, that, that it's interacted with. I'm talking about MS or Crohn's or epilepsy. Will we ever get to the point or will it take a ton of research for the medical community as a whole to embrace the powers of this plant? Well, this is what I'm hoping with the medical research. I'm hoping that we do find some situations where there's a particular cannabinoid that you can't necessarily find in high concentrations anywhere, but that if we if we pull it out and we uh, refine it and we put it in an E. coli, you know, medium, it splice it in so that we can grow it in a very stable way and get the dosing right, 
then maybe we have a very powerful cancer medication. All of it taken together with all the terpenes and all the other cannabinoids is, is powerful, but maybe we have a super powerful one if we do the pharmaceutical research. And then in that case, why not do, do a synthetic cannabinoid and bring it in early rather than try to bring it in at stage four with, you know, when almost all hope is gone. I, I agree that sometimes it strikes me as so odd that the very last thing someone would do is modify their nutrition and add cannabis in so many uh, circumstances. But I think starting with lifestyle makes the most sense. You know, it's crazy what people will do to their bodies before they look at something that is basically a weed. And I mean, you know, it's basically a weed. We have an endocannabinoid system that our bodies are built with. So they're made to handle cannabinoids. And then we have a plant that grows like a weed all over our planet. I mean, if we weren't in a prohibition, it'd be growing, you know, well, it's not growing in my ditch. I'm on the 23rd floor in Manhattan, <laughs> but it's, it's growing in somebody's ditch. <laughs> they could probably get it to me pretty easily. I mean, it's a very simple, it's not difficult to grow unless you're doing some really great tricky stuff to get some different products there's just it, it makes sense that we should be using it as an adaptogen to stay healthy and well what's wow. helpful is that we started this conversation talking about the 70s right and my mom didn't breastfeed like it was not you know I, I mentioned that all the time like it was just only she said poor people breastfed if you had the money to buy formula you bought formula and so maybe we're you know like that's uh, my hope is that we're in the same direction with medicine like we think there's only synthetic pharmaceuticals and we're starting to explore this so um I, hope I do a lot of telemedicine and there are so many people who have called for a three month refill on their blood pressure pills or their diabetes pills, but we really can't replace your in-person doctor. We can, you know, do one three month refill every year, but after that you need to be seen in person. And people are like, you know, well, how, how am I supposed to do that? Like, I don't have any money. I don't have, my insurance is gone after I lost my job. And, you know, they're, they're, <laughs> I mean, I'm, yeah, it's not a position for me to say, well, have you considered cannabis? <laughs> but there are so many situations where I think you could save a lot of money if you considered cannabis instead of what the doctor is giving you. Now, now, Alyssa sends me different articles, interesting articles she finds. And one, one in particular today was about this product called eucalyptol, which is like eucalyptus, but it's a, it's a terpenoid. Now, what's the difference between a terpenoid and a terpene? Any help there? Boy, I think you're just looking at a slightly different chemical structure that's going to have probably some pretty potent antiviral effects. Thank you for reminding me, because when I was down at Union Square this weekend, they were selling eucalyptus. And I was like, oh, we sh I don't want to drag it all the way home because I, I had two bags full of food already. <laughs> but um, but I was like, I got to order some from the florist because eucalyptus is so naturally antiviral, very, very healthy for you to inhale. So I always um, buy some in the winter and hang it from the shower curtain from the shower rod and oh. then it hydrates and it maintains that fabulous smell and is um and, and it's naturally antiviral which we all could use a little bit of that right now right um, <laughs> absolutely and in, this, in this study it is it was said it was especially um it's an enchantment by eucalyptal especially when doing math and i feel like for all the people homeschooling right now if anything's going to help my kid with math i will 
throw it. I will spray it on them all day long. Um, but yeah, I was talked about cognitive improvement and neuroprotection uh, through eucalyptus. So I think hopefully more of this information will, uh, but then I, I think we'd get stuck with how to use it. So you said you would put it in your shower because that's where I like personally that. I get stuck. I don't know. I know eucalyptus is good, but then if I put the fake one in the fake diffuser, is it bad? You know, like there's some bad oils, right? That you don't want to. Yeah. And then you worry about inhaling concentrated because, you know, your lungs aren't designed to inhale concentrated oils. That's part of the concern about using vapes. So, yeah, I like, I mean, that's the way that I use it. I'm not sure that there's a magic to it. I think it would also be really beautiful if you had an entry to, if you, if you weren't on the 23rd floor in a, in a, in a little tiny box in Manhattan, if you had an entry table in your home, you could maybe put it there and it would be really beautiful. And, you know, it, it, it does have a beautiful green, you know, it, it stays nice for a long time. So it's a good time to get it. I mean, the flu is going to come in hardest end of December, January, February. That's really when we see the flu coming in hard and sometimes into March. Uh, but, you know, COVID is just continuing to march forward. It's been pretty aggressive this last month or so. So it, it might be a good thing to have right at the entryway, you know, as we talk this through, it might yeah. be have it there because just so that you have that, uh, you know, nourishing the air in that particular space. I also bought some green plants for whatever good it is. Some, uh, you know, like spider, uh, the spider plants are very good at cleaning the air. And, uh, but I think, I don't know if they clean the air of viruses and bacteria, but it, I'm spending more time indoors. And I like the idea of a few green plants. I went on that website, Bloomscape, and they have all kinds of different plants that you can buy and there they send them to your house and then they're all set to go they just you pull them out they're already potted there's no fuss you just water them <laughs> that's up my alley for your windowsills back there do you have oh, no actually i'm at my cottage because um i'm at a little cottage because i need a little break from my math tutoring skills so <laughs> yeah. it much better i just thought i'd escape to a little cottage while it's warm but, um, but yeah, like I was using tea tree oil obsessively at the beginning of COVID and I was like more emotional than usual. And I didn't know the whole estrogen disruptor, like, but that is a very legitimate uh, agent, but it might not have been a good idea to use as much as I was. So this works for vitamin C, you know, vitamin C um, deficiencies don't exist very much. But when you get in the hospital, when you go from a general medical bed to an ICU, the frequency of vitamin C and vitamin D deficiencies increase, so that you're up around, you know, 20% of people that are in an intensive care unit that are vitamin C deficient. So getting the vitamin C and D and selenium and zinc are all a good idea. Right at the beginning of COVID, I put together a formulation, uh, and we called it Norona, Norona, N-O-R-O-N-A. We got a letter. We had to shut it down. But that was what it was. We got an FDA letter, but it was uh, zinc, selenium, DNC, and some N-acetylcysteine, which is a mucolytic. So it thins the mucus. Yeah. But that it, I thought that was a, a good combination. We had fun putting it together, but we didn't get any opportunity to sell it. <laughs> It's hard. I mean, I, I respect the, having regulations that people aren't, you know, everyone's looking for a magic bullet, but then yes, even the scientists and doctors are having their, they can't access. It's, it's unfortunate. So. Um, yeah. I, I mean, it is, there's a lot of good research, but I think part of the reason that we've been able to keep cannabis under the, under the rug for so long is, is 
because you know you have the dietitians uh, publishing in the dietitian journals and the internal medicine doctors like me publishing in my journal and the surgeons publishing in their journal. So I don't know really how to handle myself in an operating room. I haven't been reading surgical journals for years, not since medical school. So you do get in your little cubby and you quit looking up and seeing what other people are doing. You know, so cannabis is publishing here and there and then uh, and really in their own journals. And so if you're not looking, you're going to miss some great stuff. We'll certainly keep um, on top of everything that you're learning and how can we visit a website or what's the best way to follow what you're learning and doing? Because I'm I'm on your same page. I think all the stuff that you're uncovering is fascinating. So. Um, I actually do some work on uh, psilocybin pretty soon. I'll publish a little bit on that and I'm going to publish a few videos on uh, perioperative management because like you were saying, Jimmy, that there's some people that are, um, you know, there's, there's some issues with, uh, with pain management around surgery. So, so I publish those new videos at cbdandcannabisinfo.com and I share them uh, uh, through my newsletter. So there's always great CBD deals and fun things to share in my newsletter. And then if you're interested in becoming a coach, just getting educated, I have the cannabinoid protocol that, uh, that I'm really thrilled about the growth of that this year. Great. Well, Dr. Mary Clifton, uh, I have looked forward. I've read your newsletters for a long time. So I so appreciate you taking the time to uh, hang out with me and Alyssa here on our Medicinal Monday show of Cannabis Chat, and we know how to find you now, and I'm gonna take you up on that offer because uh, you'd be a, an added addition on a regular basis on our program, and I really appreciate you taking the time. Oh, thank you so much, you guys. It's been such a great time for me. All right, that's Dr. Mary Clifton from Manhattan and the um, CBD and CannabisInfo.com website, and of course, she's also available as a public speaker, and. You know, if she could fit you in, trust me, she's a very busy woman. Uh, we so appreciate her taking some time out and, and joining us here uh, today. We are Pro Cannabis Media. 